Greetings, fam. Welcome to another podcast of Speaking Through My World, where I speak about my three passions in life, and that is women, Africa, and the arts. In this session, I want to unpack further elements of uh, where we are in terms of ending gender-based violence, particularly in South Africa. As many of you might know, Johannesburg, the city where I live, is known as the rape capital of the world. We have some of the highest uh, alleged stats uh, of murder, intimate violence, intimate partner violence, gender-based violence, homophobia. And I, and I use the word alleged because the stats that are, are released are, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other activists and people working on the ground, we believe that those stats are far from the truth. And uh, a few weeks ago, many of us attended the second uh, gender-based violence summit happened in, which happened in Johannesburg, South Africa. And it was proof that, that representatives of the South African police force had put up these alleged and so-called stats of murder, rape within our country. Uh, and unfortunately for them, there were activists, feminists, lawyers, NGOs, uh, CSOs who were based in specific provinces who can speak to the reality of those numbers. And, and it turned out that a lot of the numbers are way off and way incorrect. Um, and incorrect and way off in the fact that they are not reporting on the high volume, but rather reducing the number, which then speaks to the, the narrative of minimizing what is really happening on the ground in terms of, of gender-based violence. So taking us a, a few years back in 2018, our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, was invited to the first gender summit, where he admitted that we were in a crisis. Uh, and as we know, for those of us who are in this space, that way before COVID happened, we already had a pandemic. The mere fact that there are shelters and women's organizations such as the Frida Hartley Foundation, uh, Power, um, Rape Crisis Center, who have been around for decades, which means and, and is proof that decades ago we already had a problem. So where to from now? Yes, we complain and we raise awareness, and, and I won't stop doing that, and many of us won't. But it's also operating in another, in another way, in another space. And another interesting fact that came out from the, the second gender-based summit, there was a panel where international organizations were, were brought on board, as somebody representing the business sector, and I really respect the fact that the representative from the business sector admitted that they've been working in silos, that they haven't had um, proper feedback from, from, from government. And in order for us to, to really tackle um, gender-based violence from a corporate level, we need proper transparency. And I'm going to go into a little bit more about what corporates have been doing and what, you know, how we can, how we can leverage off that and work together. But it's also about the other policies that, that international bodies hold, for instance, uh, and I 
brought this up at the summit and I've sent many, many emails to this particular organization where they will put out campaigns of unpaid labor. But when it comes to um, working and, and gaining experience and gaining knowledge from activists or feminist writers on the ground, uh, we're called into these panels, we're called into these projects, um, but there's no remuneration. And the excuse is, well, it's, a, it's their global policies, which we will respect their global policies, but then at the same time they should then respect the space and then not, not run uh, campaigns such as uh, unpaid labor and bringing it into unpaid labor when they practice it themselves. So that's one thing that, you know, that, that um, we need to tackle and we need to look at if you do sit and represent those spe uh, specific bodies. So moving forward, uh, you know, I, I wrote and I spoke about, about the disappointment from the second summit. Uh, there was no accountability in terms of where the money has actually been spent. And I really salute the, the warriors who have been part of the, the uh, task teams and doing the work. And from my understanding, there's a handful that, that do receive some form of remuneration, but there's also a large percentage that do it on a volunteer basis, which is really great, but then it also defeats the purpose of ending unpaid labor and ending gender-based violence because this time and effort and passion, which takes a lot out of you, um, you should be remunerated in some way, particularly, especially rather, if the government are boasting that millions, if not billions, have been put towards the cause. So where exactly is all of the money? And we can ask these questions over and over and over again, and there are people that are in those positions that are, are pushing to be held, to held this accountable. Um, and, and, and I noted, and I've also uh, documented on how it was interesting that the narrative that our president used, uh, you can see, was definitely influenced from from um, from a feminist or activist uh, uh, understanding, which is great. Um, and 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 I've read certain comments to to me, you know, talking about that from other uh, revered and respected feminists and activists. And it's great that he's using that narrative, but it's. Is he applying that mindset to really bring about change within the government, within our country? You know, there's still, every single day, bodies are still dying. People are still dying. There are communities that, that aren't even on the radar because there's either lack of knowledge or there's lack of accountability from, from the officials on the ground. Uh, our South African police force is, has done wonderful strides. We will acknowledge in certain areas, but in other areas have and are still failing survivors and victims. So from going into a police station where you're denied opening up a case because the police just doesn't think that, that they, the policeman or policewoman doesn't, don't, don't believe you, or um, suddenly become counsellors and say that they would uh, be the mediator between you and the perpetrator, or questioning why you're angry. At the end of the day, the role of the police is to open up a case if somebody wants to and then gather enough information and evidence to prove that when handing it over to the NPA. 
then it's up to the NPA to see if, if you know, if, if the case has enough warrant. But if there's not enough information and evidence in the file, which is the job of the police, then obviously a lot of cases get thrown out. And people need to also understand that if the NPA throws a case out, doesn't mean that the crime didn't happen. We all know that various forms of abuse are very difficult to prove, particularly if it's been long-term, particularly if it's been emotional and psychological, or if there's been a time lapse. So the, the, these are some of the, the, the areas and problems that we've been dealing with and we're still dealing with. So what is a way forward? A lot of this takes, it takes a lot from you to be working in this space. And so this message is for the activists and feminists on the ground is that pace yourself. If at times that things are getting overwhelming, listen to your body. Our work is, con is, tr is triggering constantly. And if we don't look after our mental well-being, physical and spiritual, what's the point of, of trying to help the next person if you don't have that energy, if you don't have that passion anymore? So pace yourself. There is um, very limited access to affordable, good uh, psychosocial support. And in my, in my personal space, I, I, I try and give as much as I can, but I've also learned to set boundaries for myself. When things get too much, I do take a step back and I do take a breather. But being able to offer that, that just uh, basic form of counseling for survivors of gender-based violence, PTSD, trauma-informed care, uh, that is my bit. But there's so many areas where I'm not qualified to cover. And yes, I'm working towards those degrees and working towards those, those qualifications. But in the meantime, where is the affordable health care for survivors who, who need um, um, healing and assistance out of the counseling scope of practice, who might need psychiatric or psychological assistance? There's so much that NGOs can, can offer and, and we respect that they, you know, they offer about six or seven sessions depending on cases. Um, but in reality, we know that healing isn't linear and that every trauma affects everybody differently. And so for some people, two sessions might be enough. For others, two years might be enough and that's okay. But how are we, how are we getting that help to everybody? Not just the elite, not just those in the know-how, not just those who are on social media and know about rape crisis, know about the shelters, uh, know about what the, the national shelter movement. And then, of course, something very, very um, an intricate part of rather of, of of who I am is is the adequate support that we need to supply and 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 give to the queer community. There are wonderful organizations such as VAL LGBTQI who are doing the best that they can to not only create awareness around, around what our rights are, around our bodies, uh, around sexual reproductive health rights, but where are they getting the funding from nowhere because they're not well known, they don't have a lot along um, credit history record, and granted, if you want to get funding, 
you know, you need, you need that. But action should be taken to, to support these particular organizations. Another phenomenal organization is the One in Nine, who um, I've been supporting for many, many, many years, and they're doing instrumental and phenomenal work in these small communities, particularly within Orange Farm. And when you have a chance, you know, Google the work that they're doing. But they're doing it on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a very, very small budget. They've been around for a long time, so they have the credit history. They have the credibility, yet they're still struggling. And they're having to deal with the challenges, the triggering uh, of what's happening on the ground. And then facing the reality that there's still a very high percentage of deaths of black lesbian women in our country. There's a high percentage of deaths of trans people in our country. And it's the NGOs in those sectors that work with these communities that are talking about it. But not much has been done from a government level. And so going back to, to, to when I mentioned about corporates, and there are fantastic corporates who are doing the work on the ground, who are trying to change policies internally. I always mention Unilever as, 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 a, as, a, as a goalpost because... A few years ago, they, they, in, they included, and I'm talking about Unilever South Africa, where they included a policy for their staff, should they be going through any form of gender-based violence and need to take leave, whether it is for health, whether it is for court preparation, getting out of their home, moving, whatever it is, but that policy is there. That is a great example of making the change that you need to change, as opposed to just putting out um, a, a campaign and using influencers just to run the campaign during 16 days of activism or Women's Month. That's a change that's needed. It's that internal change. It's that mindset. You know, how holding uh, people accountable when they've been accused of sexual harassment. Brings me another point is that what is your sexual harassment policy? Do you have one? Does it speak to, 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 to the current um, times? Because many companies have been around for many, many years. And so those policies could have been put in place maybe 10, 15 years ago. The climate has changed drastically. Is it inclusive? Do you understand what inclusivity means? It's not just about putting a black woman in there. Do members, community members of the LGBTQI, do they know they have access to particular rights? Are they protected? Is your corporate environment a safe space? If not, what are you doing to change that? And so we've got a very, very long way to go. Two weeks ago, I was really despondent, as I am after attending many government events around gender-based violence. But now speaking to, to, to you know, building myself up and realizing that that's not going to change anything by being that despondent and falling into depression, you know, but, but acknowledging and saluting those that are working with government, and there is a bit of change on some levels, but it's up to the government to really implement that change overall, not just one and use that as an example, because then we can't really call ourselves a democratic country. And so for the survivors and victims, we know, we always say, speak out. 
And in the past, yes, I've always said, yes, speak out, speak out. And I will continue to say speak out, but choose your, your spaces carefully. Understand what a safe space is. There are places and spaces that are created particularly for victims and survivors. And it's up to you when you want to speak out. And it's also up to you and how you want to, to deal with the trauma and the, and, 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 and the, the crime. For many, the judicial route isn't what they want to do, and that's okay. But you, you do owe healing to yourselves. And as you embark on your healing journey, it's not easy, but you can do it. Just like if you embark on the judicial route, you can do it, but pace yourself. Listen to where your heart is. Listen to where, what your body tells you. Your triggers aren't, aren't, aren't in your mind. They're there, they're there, they're very valid. If you go into spaces and people mock your triggers or roll their eyes at your triggers, then that's no longer a safe space for you. And that's okay for you to remove yourself from there. But be gentle with you as you embark on that journey, on any journey that you do go on. To the victims and survivors who have had broke breakthroughs and have found their coping mechanisms and learned to either find new career paths or new areas in their lives where they've reclaimed their power, I salute you. It has been phenomenal watching certain spaces and, and beautiful human beings in reaching that. And that is what it's about. That is why most of us do this work. Yes, we want the policy changes. Yes, we want to leave the legacy behind. But it's those special moments that we should also acknowledge because it's not easy getting there. So be gentle with yourselves. And in closing, many say, well, what can I do? Look around you. Start with your immediate space. What conversations are you having with your children? Is there gender neutrality within your home? Do your, do your children understand genders? Do they understand who they are and, 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 and what their rights are? Those are good conversations to start with. As I mentioned in the corporate space, look at the policies. The professionals out there. You don't have to cut your, your work in half uh, for, for pro, pro bono cases and so forth. But how can you reach out? Particularly the professionals in the psychosocial support. Because yes, as, as counselors and life coaches, we are qualified. But if it's out of our scope of practice, we do need to refer. And often it's not, it's not an option to refer to government organizations because there are so many patients coming in on a day-to-day -day basis that they just don't have the capacity to keep on taking more. And that's understandable. They're human. But also it's been very difficult from a from a queer counsellor to be able to refer a queer body just to a government organisation because I know the secondary victimisation that, that certain people will receive by just walking through the door. Just from face value of somebody looking at a person and already deciding for themselves that they are not worthy of being treated. 
So that's another level of abuse that many people in our community have to go through. And that is why people don't reach out. So there's, there's a lot that we can do within our personal space. But as I mentioned before, we also owe, owe it to ourselves to rest. We owe it to ourselves to celebrate how far we come. Owe it to ourselves that if we are triggered, listen to those triggers because it's not, we're, not, we're, not being over, we're not overreacting. We owe it to ourselves to find those happy triggers, those coping mechanisms that get us through. We owe it to ourselves to celebrate ourselves. So with that, thank you so much for listening. And as much as we need to hold our government accountable, we also need to hold ourselves accountable. Thanks so much for listening.